Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastival, with myself, Steve Nussbaum, in the podcast, where I invite my guests to come on, talk to me all about their musical tastes, memories, experiences, and they also get to collate their fantasy festivals, which I have christened Fantastivals. Last week, I had episode number 54, I think it was, um, a fantastic episode with Joe Lazarus. So much talent, an amazing drummer, some great stories about touring with the Foo Fighters and also touring with Iron Maiden. His uncle, Steve Harris, who was in Iron Maiden, he's had some amazing experience. He was a great guest, so thank you to Joe. So let's move on in. This is episode 55 of the Fantastical Podcast. And this week, I have multi-instrumentalist and songwriter. He's originally from Johannesburg. Currently living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Travis Mark. Hello, sir. How's it going? It's, it's going very well. I'm delighted you're on the podcast. It's been a, great to be able to be contacting you and speaking to you. As we sit here today, Travis, how are you, mate? I'm good, man. I'm warm. It's like, I don't know the conversion, but it's like about 102 degrees here today. And I just, it's... It's too warm, man. <laughs> I love the warmth, but yeah, there's a. I've been living in London for the last sixteen years. It's, it's, I'm not used to the heat anymore, you know. Not like this. So, but no, I'm good, man. Can't complain. Life is good. So, what's taking you then from London to New Orleans? Tell us about that journey. How's that happened? The short version would be I met a girl. Ah. The the long version would be so I was born in Johannesburg, South Africa, and I spent. My first, like, 20, 21 years there. Actually, first 20. I had my 21st birthday in England. And I I was playing in bands. I've been playing in bands pretty much my whole life. And we got the opportunity. We had signed. We had been gigging and touring all over South Africa for years. And we got signed to a little independent label. With that, we landed up getting management and all these kinds of things. And after working independently for years, we suddenly started getting all these big or bigger gigs. And after supporting like a couple bands that were coming there on tour, we got the opportunity to come to London and audition or have a, they call it a showcase, do a showcase for Mercury Records. And at the time, um, I mean, we were doing so well in South Africa, there wasn't a venue we couldn't sell at, you know? Like we were, we were making decent money and and, and all that, but but not all the guys were full-time musicians. Two of them were still working their day jobs. And it was quite a sacrifice. We were like, man, what do we do? And me being a full-time musician, I was like, we got to do this. Like, let's pack our bags and give up whatever jobs we had and move. And long story short, we moved to England. I think that was around about 2003, 2004. And as bands sometimes do, things fell apart. And I just didn't go back to South Africa. I, um, I landed up meeting some people over there. Um, I landed up getting signed to Universal Records with a pop group. Um, I was kind of like, it was kind of one of those, um, you know, like those projects where they put you together and you've not even met the other musicians kind of thing. Like real pop product. That's, that's what it's called. And, and uh, so I got signed with this, this band. And uh, ironically, I came over with a band I came over with, this band called Pyramid Tongue, this, this hard rock band. I was the singer and the guitarist. And the showcase we were supposed to do, which never never actually happened, unfortunately. I think we were just, I'm kind of going back and forth here, but I think 
the timing of it was wrong because we were a hard rock band and indie was about to blow up. So you had bands like Razorlight that were like getting massive and um, the Killers were about to blow up and Kaiser Chiefs and all that kind of stuff. And we didn't sound like that at all. So we got to London and we went to start playing some shows and suddenly we're like way heavier than we actually are. But it only appears that way because every band we see is like shoegazing indie kind of music. So we're like, oh man, this is not good. So things fell apart, but I met this guy, Matt Jagger, who is apparently related to Mick Jagger. And through Matt, I met various other guys and I got signed to this band. And so I came over as a singer and a guitarist, but they told me they wanted me to be the bassist. And here's where I learned that maybe pop products aren't always the greatest thing because the guy was like, man, you got to come over and be my bassist and, and this and that, this and that. I went and bought myself a bass guitar thinking, well, this is cool. I mean, I can play bass, no big deal. And I got to like, I don't know, the studio the one day and there was already a bassist. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, I thought I'm going to be the bassist. And they're like, no, no, you're going to be the guitarist. And I'm like, the guy didn't even, I mean, I'm not going to mention his name because he actually is a notable producer. He's had hit records. But like how he didn't seem to know the difference between bass and guitar just blew my mind. But anyway, so we released a single and we got on the Billboard charts and we started touring the country and everything was going good. We were making good money. Um, and when the album dropped, we were supposed to like get a really big payday. And I wasn't into the music, but you remember that band Busted? Yeah. Do you know what? I've got a lot of time for Busted. I didn't mind Busted back in the day. My wife yeah, loves Busted. busted. Bu yeah. I, there wasn't a woman in England back then who didn't <laughs> love Busted, you know? And, and so Busted were going through a bit of turmoil because Charlie had started Fightstar. And everyone was giving the guy hate. But I kind of figured, well, shit, if Charlie can break away from Busted and start Fight Stop and kind of start being viewed as like, man, this guy's quite a good musician. Mm. Not that the guys from Busted aren't good musicians, so I'm not trying to imply that, but, but have musicians actually start to think of the guy as a musician versus a product? I sort of saw the opportunity of joining this pop product as the same kind of path. Mm. You know, I didn't want to do it. I, I remember playing the, the 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 demos for my parents over the phone because they were still back in South Africa at the time, and and I was like, Dad, I, I hate this man. And he was like, Well, you know, it might be a way in this and that, this and that. So I did it, and you know, the signing bonus was cool, and it seemed like an opportunity, and that's what brought me to England. That's the long and short of it. And and then that band, as bands do, tended to blow up eventually, and. Not in a good way, in a bad way. And and the band finished and uh, I stayed and I, I I started writing new material and eventually forming another band and another band and another band. And, and after, after several tries and playing with several artists and different bands over there, I finally settled into a band that, that still record as a band. We just don't play live anymore called Dead Days, which is like an alternative rock kind of band. And we toured forever and a day under a different name for a while, um, but then turned it into Dead Days. And typically, as things seem to be going quite well for us, I just happened to have the opportunity to move here. And I, I met a, a wonderful girl who I decided to marry. And it wasn't going to work if 
we were on different parts of the planet, you know? So I decided I've given my whole life to music. I mean, since I was a kid and I'm in my 30s now and I was like, you know, I've, I've sacrificed everything to be a musician. Maybe it's time to, I, I don't want to say grow up, but maybe it's time to just worry about the personal side of my life as well. Because after gigging for years and years as a musician, you start to realize that, you know, a lot of other stuff is happening. A lot of your friends are falling away over those years. Some friends are having families and some friends are moving countries and some friends are starting businesses and all these kinds of things. And I just thought to myself, like, I'm always going to be a musician. But I was looking at the guys that I was in the band with and, you know, the one guy just got married and I kind of thought, I'm sure kids are probably going to come any, any minute. And the other guy was about to buy a house. And I, I kind of was just trying to look at the long-term game there and think, do I want to be the, the guy in the band that's like, you know, 50 and going, hey, guys, let's go play at, uh, you know, the 100 Club for 100 bucks and, <laughs> and like, the band's going to make it. Because, you know, that's not going to happen. Not when guys are making decent money elsewhere and focusing on their personal lives. So I so, sort of just thought, let me be a little bit realistic. I've been coming to the States for about five, six years already. And New Orleans in particular, I mean, I probably made a dozen trips here before I moved here. And uh, I started to just scope the scene, you know. And, I mean, there's a massive music scene here. It's a very local-based scene. But musicians can make very good money. And I just sort of looked at it and I was like, you know, I can basically triple what I make in England. I can come to a place and have a relationship with a girl that I actually am interested in having a relationship with. And I can build a life while being a musician versus just being a musician. So that's what brought me here. I, I moved, went through the immigration process, was a complete pain in the ass. And, um, and I hit the ground running, man. I mean, I landed on the 10th of February, 2020. I got married the following week. I auditioned for a band the following week, got in that band, did two gigs, had an audition for another band the following day and was called the next day and told that COVID was about to hit. And I was like, you're kidding me. Like I came guns blazing, you know? And luckily I, I got some work at a, the bloody best studio in Louisiana, a place called Esplanade Studios. You've got to check it out. It's phenomenal. And everybody who's anybody has been in that studio. And so the guy who owns that place was kind enough to sort of maybe see that I had a bit of um, talent when it came to the recording side of things. And he let me like work there for like a year, you know. And so luckily through that, I met everybody who's anybody in the city. And thankfully now when things started opening up a couple of weeks ago, my phone just didn't stop ringing. And then I'm gigging like six, seven times a week again now. It's, it's been nuts. So long-winded answer, I apologize, but, <laughs> but it all kind of worked. That's how things got to where I am now, you know. That's an amazing story, um, you know, this amazing journey. I've also, when I was reading about you, you've got you down as having played with Little Mix, which is quite a big deal in England, in the UK, Ellie Goulding. <laughs> yeah, well, so I don't follow a lot of that scene. I do, I do now, you know, over the last, like, sort of six, seven years, I've taken songwriting extremely seriously and I've been lucky to get a couple of publishing deals and have a couple of songs placed with other artists and stuff like that. And so now I pay attention to the charts, you know, and I'm like, ooh, who's hot, who's not kind of thing. 
But I've got to be honest, when I did that little mix thing, a friend of mine phoned me and he, uh, he's like, man, do you want to go play um, on some game show with Little Mix? I didn't know who the hell Little Mix were. Like, I was like, I just asked how much the money was. He told me it was pretty good. I went and did it, <laughs> you know. And uh, Ellie Golding, I mean, I, I don't want to take too much credit for that. It was a Brit Awards thing that they, they had a bunch of drummers with. Um, she was doing like a big performance thing and there was fire and a whole bunch of cool shit and she needed a bunch of drummers. So I think she still had her regular drummer, a friend of mine. Um, well, more on acquaintance. We're not necessarily friends, but we know of each other, a guy named Joe. He's her drummer. And I think if memory serves correctly, he might've even been doing that show, but we had all, or they had all these other drummers and that was the Brit Awards performance. It's probably up on YouTube somewhere, but that was quite a cool experience. I mean, I'd only been in England a few years and did that kind of thing. And I was like, man, this, it's cool. You know, and you know, the one thing I've got to say, <clears throat> while there's a lot of negativity surrounding musicians, you know, you, you always get the, oh, there's no money in that industry kind of comments when you meet musicians. Uh, all people who don't know about music seem to think that there's no money. If you want to make money as a musician, there is money. You just have to be willing to work. It's like no other job. It's like, or, or, or unlike any other job in, in respects of, you you know, some people go work these jobs and they're good at their jobs, but they can almost go there and switch their brains off and go through the motions and at the end of the day, go home and not think about it. You can't necessarily do that with music because if you do, at least in my experience, you're going to end up being one of these guys who sits at home and moans that you have no money or aren't working. But, you know, if you're not getting out there and actually working and trying to work, why would anybody phone you? People don't just know you exist. I know that social media exists now, but, you know, even some of those guys who blow up on social media, it doesn't mean that they're making any money. I know you get kickbacks on, on certain sites like YouTube and stuff like that, depending on your viewership. But, but you know, I, I know guys who do the Instagram thing and get thousands of views, but they don't have a gig, you know? So it's like some of the stuff's quite kind of warped, you know? And I think, I think it's so easy to be sort of smoked and mirrored nowadays with with social media it's like you can look i suppose it's no different from like the the moods and stuff now right like someone can look really happy on social media but that doesn't mean they're a happy person and the music stuff's no different you know you can look like you're blowing up on social media i've had friends with record deals who apparently are touring the world and you know the, the next big thing and i've gone to watch them and there's like 10 20 people in the audience sometimes and you go like you know, I've done function gigs with like 200% more attendance than this. So, you know, for anyone who's listening, just uh, take everything with a pinch of salt, in my opinion. You know, I like it. Very wise words from a young head. A young head. You've got a good head on your shoulders, Mr. Mr. Mark. So you said Pyramid Tongue, you were into it. It was heavy rock. Is that the kind of music predominantly you're into? Is that where you, like, your heart lies or, or is there another genre that you're into? I'm into everything. You know, there's nothing I don't like. Not at this point in my life. Uh, I don't necessarily seek out techno music, but I fell in love with music for some reason. You know, my, my parents had this killer stereo system as a kid and I would just go through my dad's vinyls, pick one based on the cover. You know, I didn't really know who I was listening to after the time, but pick one based on the cover or the artwork, shove headphones on and listen. And I didn't even know why I liked it. 
you know i just it seemed like this cool escape and even as a kid i don't know what i was trying to escape from but like it was the coolest thing in the world and i still can't find anything that beats that for me you know you buy a good set of headphones and now with streaming you can you the, the world is your oyster you know but so I didn't realize I was that into it, but I guess I must have been because my parents tell me stories about how I was always making beats or, or, or tapping things or singing rhymes. My dad had a, a print, printing business and he, uh, they got these Heidelberg um, printing machines. And for those people who don't know what that is, it's, it's this really old school printing machine and it's got this piston kind of movement that comes down almost like a metronome, you know, like a psh, and like it does that for hours on end. And from what my parents tell me, I would sit at that machine in his little factory and just make rhymes and melodies and play drum things. Like I didn't have a drum kit. So I, I, I can't remember doing these things, but they say that I did. And so I guess maybe I did. And I do know that I was always begging them for a drum kit. Um, but, you know, when you're kids, you go through so many different phases that like I think eventually your parents are probably like, you know, we're not going to buy this kid anymore of this because two weeks are going to go by and 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 uh, the fad's going to pass. So anyway, long story short, I won some money on the radio. And uh, it was almost like, you know, I hate to sound like all arty-farty, but it was almost like fate. A music store opened a few blocks away from my house and I won money on radio all in the same week. And they had three drum kits for sale. And I begged my mother to let me skip school. I originally wanted to be a doctor. Short, <laughs> short story there. And I had the grades to do it too. But I, I begged her and I was like, let me skip school. You know, I was like a really good student. Let me skip school. I, I'm going to go buy this drum kit. And it was like, no way, no way. You, you, you know, school, you take your school real serious. You've got to go to school. And I was like, livid, you know. And anyway, unbeknownst to me, I got home that day from school. And my mom had gone to the store with some of the money I'd won. And she bought me a drum kit. Now, what I didn't realize is drum kits didn't come set up. <laughs> it's all in a box, you know, with rims and skins and, and or heads, as people call them now, and all these kinds of things. And I was like, I don't know how to set up a drum kit. You know, I didn't even know what a drum key was. <laughs> so thankfully, my parents have always been super, super supportive and and between my dad and I, we figured out, how to, figured out how to kind of set this thing up. And a few days later, I had what kind of resembled a drum kit. And man, my dad handed me a bunch of like records and CDs. And he was like, this doesn't sound too hard. Try to figure it out. And I tried to figure it out. And three months later, I was in my first band. You know? So no, man, I don't have a specific genre. If I was ready to be fine-tuning it to, to what I love or what I think got me into music, I would say a combination of Michael Jackson and Nirvana. I couldn't, couldn't escape that. I thought the pop sense and backbeat on Michael Jackson songs was just addictive. Plus, you know, as a kid, seeing that guy on TV and stuff, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the personal stuff that people talk about. I'm talking just the music, like seeing the legions of fans and the, the millions of people that just like responded to his music. I was like blown away. And so then, then I was introduced to Nirvana as like a very sort of early teen. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is like pop, but with like guitars. This is incredible. And so I was just like, that's it. I'm going to be a drummer. You know? And before I knew it, the, the dreams of being a doctor 
were out the window and I started skipping school. Like you cannot believe to the point that I actually, I was lucky I got involved with a band that was touring and I, my parents let me drop out of school and I went and studied music and joined this band, hit the road and I've never turned back, you know. It's amazing. The stethoscope went down, the drumsticks came up and a musical legend <laughs> that's, was born. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> 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 you spoke before about kind of how streaming is changing the game in terms of someone can say, oh, have you heard this band? And very shortly after, you can be listening to their album wherever you are in yeah. the world. Is there anything at the moment that you're listening to, whether that's old or whether it's a new band, anything at the moment that's floating your boat? So for me, i got Ryan Adams. I'm a big fan of Ryan. His new album came out. I love on Ryan Adams. Yeah, so loving that for me personally. I think that's awesome. What about you? What, what are you listening to at the moment? Well, you know, so... At the moment, I'm getting a lot of gigs with a lot of bands that already exist in the city um, that aren't my own band. Or oh, I'm busy starting a new band. I'll tell you all about that in a bit. But, but so I spend a lot of time listening to music I don't necessarily want to listen to just to learn material. It's kind of the only negative thing I would say about, <laughs> about being a musician. Sometimes I don't want to learn some of that shit. You know, some of the songs don't speak to me. And it's like, I get it. I'm getting paid to do it. So I have to do it. And I'm a professional, so I'll do it. But man, I don't enjoy that. I like listening to music I actually want to listen to. So when I'm not trying to learn that stuff, at the moment, I seem to be going through a bit of a Dinosaur Jr. phase. Oh, good band. So I've had Dinosaur, Dinosaur Jr. on repeat constantly um, lately. I've also... Um, Far more old school, I, I pulled out the, uh, the Traveling Wilburys vinyl out of my vinyl collection the other day, and I was like, man, these are like five of the greatest songwriters in history. This record's just going to be like incredible because I haven't listened to it in years, you know. So now I've got different ears from, from a year ago, and so I'm listening to that a lot. And uh, a friend of mine who I don't think their band exists anymore, but they, they were in a band called Fire States. Um, and again, you know, I use the, fr the term friend loosely, acquaintance. We, we had crossed paths on various gigs and tours <clears throat> and stuff like that. And they, they put out an album. So I gave their album a spin the other day. I thought that was quite cool. It was decent, you know, really, really, uh, some really great ideas and some really strong songs, I thought. So, yeah, that's, and then, you know, I'm a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. So like, I recently went and re-listened to the Adore album, and there's some real gems on that. But I'm always I'm always going back and forth with stuff. I, I, oh, I recently discovered a band called The Cringe as well, and they they quite cool. So I've not listened to much, but I was listening to a little bit of their stuff yesterday. But nah, man, that's pretty much it. If I'm not mixing my own music or trying to get the mixes better, I'm learning people's music. So so listening to music of my own is a is a luxury. I think it's probably a good time to mention that before we started recording, we were kind of reminiscing because we have a mutual friend on Facebook, a guy called Brandon Lee, who is yeah. the singer of a band who I... what If I ever do a Fantastical of my own, this band might even make the top five. That's how influential this band was, of a band called Flickerstick, who never blew up, did they? Never blew up, in the especially in the UK, never blew up, who were on a reality show on VH1 and who I loved at the time. And this was 20 years ago, so no Spotify, no iTunes. So I had to get the uh, CD yeah. on through import to HMV Trocadero uh, through CD One Stop yeah. for any HMV people who are listening. 
But I think we should probably mention, I've got a mutual love of Flicker Stick. I think they're amazing. You l- love Flicker Stick as well. I love Flicker Stick. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting because Bands on the Run is how I discovered them as well. I was coming on from gigs late at night and they typically showed Bands on the Run on a Friday night. I think it was like 1 a.m. So I'd be getting home from a gig or roundabout and there was the show on TV. And it was crazy because like you were watching these bands do the exact same thing that you had just done mm. or things that you had to do for the next gig. And, you know, I understand. I've tried to research over the years why that show never did another one. Mm. And apparently the logistics of it were a nightmare and it cost them too much to do blah, 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 blah. I don't know how much that stuff's true. But I tell you what I do love about it, and this this is where it shows that I'm an old school musician versus a, a new school musician. Is like the idea of being in a band, going and having flyers or posters printed, sticking them all over the place you're going to play, handing them out, sticking them on car windshields, standing at a traffic light and handing them to everybody who comes past and gets stuck at that. I did that shit, you know, and like. It was it was great. It, it felt like you were really living it, and you you had to do this to get people to your show, and it worked, man. I mean, I was in bands that did that stuff, and you got thousands of people to the shows. Whereas now, it's easy to be lazy. It goes back to the working thing we were talking about earlier. It's like, hey, bro, I'm a musician. I've got a gig. Here's my Facebook event. Are you coming? Oh, cool. I have thirty people coming. I'm so excited. It's like you're not excited. Do some work, man. Go to the venue. Put up some posters. Hang out a couple nights beforehand if you have the luxury to do that. If you're on tour, you don't have the luxury to do that. I understand. But, like, if you're just a a local band trying to do your thing, do that stuff. Because the guys who say that they're promoters, often on local scenes, and, again, this might sound a little bit, like, you know, blunt, but some of these promoters, inverted commas, they don't do any promotion. So you have to, as a band, try and do your own. And it makes you bond as brothers or members, in case you're not all male, members. By doing that stuff, it gives you a, a bond and a, a kind of a gang mentality. I think that, you know, again, I'm, I'm veering off topic here slightly. I'm going to get back to Flicker Stick, I promise. But I think what happens is everyone's always going on about how rock is dead, right? Rock and roll's dead. Rock's dead. This, this, that. I don't think it's dead. I think you still got some great rock bands out there. You just have to dig deeper to find them. And I think the reason why rock isn't necessarily looked at the same as it was when I was like a kid. When I was a kid, you saw pictures of rock bands and they they seemed so dangerous, you know, and they, they seemed so unpredictable and like almost like I'm not necessarily talking about this story. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Still here. Oh, okay. Um, you know, like if you think of a band like Motley Crue, you saw a picture of Motley Crue back in the day, you were like, my goodness, like these guys are dangerous. And I think that all seemed to switch somewhere along the line. It became like hip hop became dangerous, you know, and they became the rock stars. They had the bling and they were dressed really like to the T and they had all the girls all around them and all that kind of stuff. And somewhere rock almost lost its edge and it became like a, how nice can you be if you're in a rock band? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a nice person. I'm, I don't mean that at all. So people mustn't get it twisted. But it became like a yes, sir, no, sir. Oh, we don't want to step on any toes. And heaven forbid we offend somebody. 
And so, like, I mean, when was the last time you actually discovered a new rock band and were like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible, you know? I mean, there's been a couple exceptions over the years, but there's a reason why the big rock bands that dominate the world are still the same bands that have been dominating the world for 20, 30 years. I mean, the only band that I can think of that I've really fallen in love with as a rock band over the, over the last five years is a band called Nothing More. They're from Texas. I don't know if you've ever checked them out. They're incredible, absolutely incredible, you know? But, like, there's something about them when you see them live. You just go, man, these guys are, like, ready to go to war. Like, that's what it feels like. Whereas I think a lot of the rock bands, they take for granted that because they've put time in their instruments, perhaps, and again, I'm speaking, I'm just spitballing here, but perhaps because they can play their instrument well, they think people need to respect them as being rock mm -hmm. bands. Like, I think they need to be rock bands again. And what made the band, like, flicker stick to go back to that topic so cool for me was if you watch that show while the other bands are all trying to really be the yes sir no sir kind of people flicker stick seem to really be like uh, excuse my french here we don't give a fuck and we're <laughs> gonna just do what we want and we're gonna go and play some shows and we're gonna rock it and they did and they really deserve to be massive in my opinion you know like why it never happened who knows man it goes back to the the luck thing we were talking about earlier, but brilliant songwriters, brilliant songs. And for me, you know, it, it all comes down to the song. Yeah. I don't care who the artist is. If the song is good, the song's good, you know? Yeah. Spot on Travis. Spot on. If anyone is interested in Flicker Stick, you can't really listen to their first album uh, on Spotify, but it is on YouTube. And anyone who is wondering yeah. what bands on the run is about, it was basically before X Factor or, Britain's Got Talent, they put four independent bands, they gave them their own bands and they sent them across the States and yeah. the one who raised the most money ended up winning the competition. But it was a phenomenal series. They're all on YouTube. So if anyone's got a spare hour or two, go and check out the first episode. It's amazing. Yeah. It's such a great, yeah. a great show. What a cool concept. I wish they would do it again. You know, I wish they would do it again, especially now with the advances of social media and, and the internet. Because, man, you should be able to, if you did that old school promotion mixed with the new school promotion, it'd be very interesting to see the different twists they could do with that, you know. And the, the second album is good, too. I don't yeah, know if you was, I mean, you yeah, must have checked that out. Like, yeah. That's a brilliant record, you know. No, and uh, did you ever check out the, I think it's called Madagascar? Yeah. It's like that. an EP. That's a really cool little EP too. So yeah, man, if anybody's listening, flick a stick rule. And ironically, <laughs> what you told me to think of five bands. There was a day or two where they were the opening band of my, oh. my list. But, but dude, this, this is like the hardest question to ever ask anybody. Like my list has changed daily <laughs> since we spoke about doing this interview. It's like, that's a tough one, man. Can't I have a three-day festival? <laughs> Absolutely not, Travis. Absolutely not. We'll come back. We'll come back very shortly to your fantasy festival. But let me just get a bit more insight about music for you. So you mentioned Michael Jackson and Nirvana when you were younger. Do you yeah. remember your first record and buying your first record? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the the first cassette I bought, uh, at least to knowledge, was Michael Jackson Bad. Um, the first cd i bought and i don't have it anymore but i was obsessed with the the one song on it i think it was a big hit at the time was it was it was a band called babylon zoo <laughs> and they had a song they had a song called spaceman and i was like spaceman ruled you know 
Ironically, as I got older and I got a bit more into music, I was like, I don't know if I like all this kind of weird electronic kind of stuff. But uh, I'd probably appreciate it now because I love synthesizers. But those were the first ones I was able to purchase. Uh, I mean, you've got a brilliant CD collection behind you. I've got a brilliant CD collection in the front ha- front of my house. So looks like you and I have both got a uh, an album buying problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's not a bad problem so, to have. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Babylon Zoo, I remember that. That was on the Levi's uh, gene advert at the time when it first yeah. came out. It was massive. I remember all my mates going mental for the Spaceman single. I remember that. Spaceman, man, what a, what a song. And, you know, I, I, I haven't listened to that record in probably probably 20 years. But interestingly enough, I can see the cover in my head. And I feel as though there the were image similarities between that guy and the band that eventually became placebo mm. you know there's like yeah. definitely look it definitely looked the same you know obviously it didn't sound the same but no nah, man hey again a good song's a good song now i think like you take some of those production techniques away and the hook of that spaceman song is still a freaking hook you know so hooks are hooks man <laughs> So you mentioned your fantasy festival, how hard it was. We're going to come to that very shortly. In terms of your own festival experience, do you like festivals? Are you a big festival goer? And have you got any memorable experiences as a music fan or or playing a festival? Yeah, man, I've been to tons of festivals and I've obviously played at tons of festivals. Uh, Experience-wise, I mean, there'd be tons. The, The one that comes to mind as a fan would be you know, Foo Fighters are my absolute favorite band. I've been obsessed with them since since I was probably about 14. And when I first moved to England, obviously Foo Fighters had never come to South Africa, but they do go to England a lot. And um, they, they were touring the In Your Honor album and they were headlining Reading. And I was like, oh, sweet. And uh, I got tickets and I went to Reading. And dude... I mean, I don't know if it was because it was the first time I saw Foo Fighters or because I've seen them about a hundred times since then. Mm. But but I don't know if it was because of that experience of just, you know, figuring out how to get to Reading and getting to the Reading Festival and seeing these hundred thousand people and then waiting as close to that stage as possible to see Foo Fighters that it just became the greatest festival in the world to me. Or if it was just anything else about the day. But that that memory, man, Reading just holds a super, super, super special place in my heart. To the point that after living in London for years and years and years, I ended up moving out to Berkshire and staying in Bracknell, which is quite close to Reading. And like, dude, any big bands that came that way, I would try and try and go see, you know. But yeah, man, so Reading Festival would be my, my greatest personal one but i mean there's so many you know i mean growing up in south africa it seemed like the bands that came there south africa's it's, it's an ex-british colony so there are british elements to how you you know what you're exposed to as a child but it's very americanized too so the music i was exposed to was very american based and so a lot of those kinds of bands especially like when you're young and it's these young bands you're discovering. They don't tend to come to places like South Africa when they're blowing up everywhere else in the world. They can make money, more money going to Europe or or traveling in the States than what they'll make in a small place like South Africa, especially given the currency um, conversion. 
So, man, I was like a kid in a candy store when I first moved to England. It's like every band I could see, I'd try and see. But, yeah, man, Reading, Foo Fighters, be my, my top festival memory, I think. Great yeah. stuff. Great band. I've been lucky enough to see Foo Fighters quite a few times, and they always put on an awesome show. What about separate gigs then? Have you got any gigs that stand out for you as being memorable that you look back on and you go, bloody hell, that was, that was a gig and a half? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like you mean in terms of gigs that I've seen? Yeah, or played. It can be either, either or. I mean, in, in terms of gigs I've seen, ironically, first time I saw Alice Cooper, I was like, well, what the shit? <laughs> I, I would have never guessed. Like, you know, I knew, I knew a handful of Alice Cooper songs. He's obviously like, before my time but he's obviously cool he's he's been around that scene and he still is relevant and all this but i managed to get tickets to see him at ali pali and it was like dirt cheap man i'm talking like maybe 20 bucks and i was like wow i'll go see alice cooper and twisted sister were opening up wow <laughs> they, they were great as well and um he had um eric singer drumming for him who's uh kisses Kiss. drumming. yeah and um, I mean, I'm, I'm obsessed with Kiss. So I was like, oh, wow. I was blown away. I've never seen a show like that in my life. Ironically, until I saw Kiss. So, <laughs> I mean, from a live concert entertainment value, I'm not talking the music value necessarily. I'm talking entertainment, con keep your eyes off the stage. Alice Cooper and Kiss are probably the greatest two show shows I've ever seen. You know, everyone always goes on about like Muse being such a great band. They're incredible. I've been lucky enough to play festivals where Muse played. And I even did a day festival in South Africa where Muse was on the bill and stuff like that. But I actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm confused on that. A band I was playing for and recently left did that, right. did that show. So I missed the Muse show. Um, but I did, I mean, I still did catch them. But uh, I mean, I'm just talking from a, I couldn't take my eyes off stage point of view. From a musical point of view, I don't think there's a tighter band than Buffy Clara. Like, there's just, I mean, can they be beaten? Like, uh, that's, that's and again, what wonderful songs. I mean, the musicianship is one thing, but the songs, man, you know. And uh, ironically, they opened that show when I saw Foo Fighters back at Reading. Oh, wow. And then the whole crowd was going, Buff, I'm on the Buff, I'm on the Buff. And I was like... I'm on the book. Like, what the F? I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue, you know? And I was so also so grateful to see it because, like, again, I come from that kind of background. I was playing that kind of music. Indie was blowing up. Yeah, I came to Buffy Claro on stage. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. There's elements of grunge and post-grunge here. Meets alternative and hard rock. Even slash prog. And I'm like, this is pretty sweet. If this band can do this... My band that's too hardcore on the scene right now, we could do this, you know? So, yeah, man, obsessed with all those bands. But uh, who else? Bands that have been super special when I saw them live. Billy Talent. First time I saw Billy Talent, I thought they were incredible. First time I saw Brand New, thought they were incredible. Oh, dude, just going back to that same first reading experience, I saw Dinosaur Jr. at that festival. And I wasn't even a Dinosaur Jr. fan. I obviously knew them because of the grunge movement. I'm really into grunge music. And uh, they were massive on that scene back in the day. And um, that was the, the first year that they had reformed on the original lineup. So that was just like everything about that festival was great. And for a festival goer who doesn't necessarily go because they're a musician themselves, you know what's amazing about 
things like Sonosphere and Reading and all of those kinds of like festivals downloaded all of them is like I'd played every festival you could play in South Africa and I've played many festivals in England but the fact that you can get over a hundred thousand people on a piece of land and then not even really stand in a queue to use the toilet that blows my mind that blows my mind who plans the logistics of these things they're geniuses <laughs> Amazing. You've mentioned some phenomenal acts there. Kiss, Amazing Live, Alice Cooper, Biffy. Biffy was my album of the year last year. I think Biffy are untouchable. Fantastic album, huh? Untouchable last year. So some really, really great acts. I'm looking forward to who makes your fantasy festival. So as I always say, the aim of the Fantastical Podcast is getting our guests to collect their fantasy festivals. So Travis gets to choose any five acts, one of whom must play one of their studio albums in full. And to end your fantasy festival, you get to pick an encore, which can be any song by any artist ever that all five of your acts can play at the end of your fantasy festival. So it's very simple. Five acts take five time slots. So I mentioned Joe Lazarus at the beginning. He was my last guest. He collated his Laz Fest Fantastival. He held his at Upton Park, which is a football stadium of West Ham United. Apologies to any Wolverhampton Wanderers fans. Molyneux's been picked before. Sorry to Rupert, who listens and says, you did have a premiership football ground on before. I did have. I slipped my mind. Apologies to all Wolves fans. So we had Laz Fest last week. In his opening slot, Joe picked Nick Drake. So Nick Drake made his first appearance at a fantasy festival. In his super second slot, Joe picked Jeff Buckley and picked Jeff Buckley to play his album Grace. So great Ooh, choice good there. Choice. Good choice. In his midway ma- madness slot, uh, Joe picked Led Zeppelin. Uh, so nice. Zeppelin have been picked a few times that was their fifth appearance in his pre-headline slot Joe picked Ocean Size so very similar to Biffy Ocean Size made their second fantastical appearance and headlining Lazfest the making their first ever fantasy festival appearance was his uncle's band uh, no shame in that at all when your uncle plays bass in Iron Maiden and is Steve Harris well, of course so of course <laughs> you know fair enough and, and, and a pretty a pretty fit headliner I mean, anybody yeah. who's ever seen any anything of them ever do last stuff, it's like they're on it, man. Yeah, superb, superb choice. For his encore, he had all those five acts play Purple Rain to finish his last fest ah. fantasy festival. <laughs> ah, that is a good choice. I actually finished a gig with that song last night. Oh, really? I mean, that song just unites people, man. Um, short story, Paisley Park. You ever been? Never been, no. Dude. So cool. So cool. Like, and, and Prince, man. See, this is the hardest part about, about your, your question of, of trying to pick the, the lineup for this thing. Because I was like, man, I thought about guys like Prince. I thought about guys like Michael Jackson, you know, like all this kind of thing. But then I thought about the bands I'd have on. And I was trying to really line it up from a, if I actually went to this festival, would this lineup work? Or would this totally just be so bizarre, you know? But I mean, Prince, come on. Anybody who's ever ever gets the opportunity to go to Paisley Park, you've you got to go. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. From what I hear, it's amazing. Prince has been picked for four Fantastivals before, um, so we'll see if he gets picked in your one. But I guess before we get your lineup, uh, Travis, we need a name for your fantasy festival and we need a venue for your fantasy festival. So what what are you going to call your fantasy festival? Travstock. <laughs> Love it. 
I love it. So Traff stock is announced. And Travis, where are you taking us? You can take us back to South Africa. You can take us back to London. We can hold it in New Orleans. We can go back to Reading, uh, where you first saw Foo Fighters. Anywhere you want to go, Travis, you can hold it anywhere in the world. So where are you going to take us? Again, super, super tough one, man. I think I think I'm going to have it at an indoor um, thing. So I don't know if that's doable because I'm going to... I'm going to cut my crowd down here. So from the finance point of view, we're not going to make as much money as what we would do if we went outside. But I love the Roundhouse. Oh, good venue. So I would have a small, almost iTunes festival kind of setup at the Roundhouse, except it would all take place in one day. And I think what we would do, we'd have some kind of thing where instead of just being able to purchase tickets to this makeshift festival, we'd have to have people really prove that they wanted to be there somehow so that the, the real, like, I love these band kind of fans were all in attendance. That's what I would want. Yeah. I so I'd have it at the Roundhouse. I did, I did originally think Reading, and there's, there's a beautiful festival that happens every year in South Africa as well called Splashy Fen. And there's also a beautiful location out my way uh, called City Park, and they do festivals there. And it's, it's so nice. But I'm not going to uh, subject everybody to the amount of mosquito bites that uh, <laughs> you get out in this heat. So I want everyone to have a good time. I'm sure they will. A great name, a great uh, venue. So you've already kind of mentioned bands who hadn't made it and how difficult the process has been. Um, so I, yeah. I won't make you recount the kind of acts we've missed out. So I guess let's go through your five acts then. So... Two o'clock in the roundhouse, trash stock sold out. All those fans have had to go through various stages on Ticketmaster or your website to get tickets. They're all hardcore. The place is buzzing. The lights are going down at two o'clock. So, Travis, who's going to be your opening act? All right, this was really tough because I did listen to some of your previous episodes and I did notice that some guys include their own bands and I was going to do that. <laughs> but then I thought, you know what, next time next time so my opening act would be brand new oh so brand new brand new have never been picked for fantasy festival before and haven't really um been spoken about much on this podcast so i guess for you then travis why 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 did brand new open your fantasy festival because they are probably the greatest songwriting band that has ever been produced there's no band that writes songs like that band and you in, in a time where everything is single-based, in my opinion, Brand New is one of the few bands that if you have the patience to listen to an album from start to finish, there's not one bad song on the last four records they've put out. I mean, ironically, they've called it a day as a band from what I hear, which is tragic, but it's, it's real selfish reasons. I want them there because I'm obsessed with the band. So I'd want them there. And originally I was gonna make them be one of the bands that played a full album. But I can't pick. The, the last four albums have been masterpieces, in my opinion. So, brand new. And, and you know, also, I thought I would start the festival a little moody. And brand new is kind of moody. <laughs> you know, so, like, originally I was thinking I'd put, like, someone really happy, like Bob Marley. Like, what a cool opening act for a festival. But it just didn't suit the rest of my lineup. And I think brand new kind of does. So, 
that's why I chose them. Love it. Great act. So brand new open Traff stock. They make their first appearance at a Fantastival. They play for an hour. They'll play from two till three. We'll take our breaths back after a brand new half hour. We'll get some more drinks in. We'll make everyone prove how hardcore fans they are of all the bands coming up. And that will take us to our super seconds at time, which will be half three to half four. So, Travis, who's going to play in your super second slot? The Police. Oh, so I love The Police. The Police, um, this is their second Fantastival appearance. I was lucky enough to see The Police when they um, reunited a few years back. I'm jealous of you. I've always wanted to see The Police, but I hate Twickenham. It's like the other side of London. It's an absolute yeah, yeah, to get to. Yeah. So they announced Wembley Arena as like the last, last date on their tour. Yeah. So I managed to get tickets for like me and my wife. Uh, we were right on the side of the stage, so we were just looking straight ahead at Sting. Could see all three of them yeah. perfectly. One, that, such a great gig. Setlist was perfect. No pretentiousness. Yeah. They played exactly what you would want them to play. So yeah. I'm so happy I saw them. But for you, Travis, because it's all about you, not about me. Why? Why the police for you? Well, again, just super important band to me. You know, I love the idea of bands that are trios. I always have, you know, Nirvana, The Police, Biffy, etc., etc., etc. But I mean, Stuart Copeland's one of my top three drummers. So he's one of my biggest influences. I stole a lot from him. <laughs> and then Sting as well. I mean, Sting just as a songwriter yeah, and Andy Summers as a guitarist. I feel like everybody in that band is just world class. And so you can, again, maybe I'm, maybe I'm approaching it from a musician point of view, but I can look at everybody in that band and take something, you know? And from a saying that Sting himself said, the greatest musicians in the world steal, you know? So what a tough choice. But I would want them, you know, I was thinking about the era I would want them in. And as much as I love Roxanne and those Peanuts, I love that song Peanuts, um, that first record, I think I would want them from, I want them sort of ghost in the machine synchronicity. I want those records out already so that they can really play all the bangers, you know, walking on the moon, message in a bottle, uh, everything she does is magic, all that stuff. Because they've got too many incredible songs to only pick one record for that band too. You know? Yeah, so. great choice. The Police make their second fan. I wish I got to see them, dude. You, you've made me so jealous. So. Like, <laughs> I knew a guy who saw Nirvana. I, I met a guy who saw Nirvana like six times back in the day as well. And I was like, what? Like, Seriously? <laughs> you know? Like, I got an impressive list under my belt, man. But, like, there's some bands you can't take away. Oh, and, dude, I met this... Uh, ironically, she's related to me. She's a, a, a my wife's uncle's wife. And there's a place... Okay, it's closed now. There was a place here called The Warehouse back in the day. And everybody played there. Everybody. And, dude, back in the day, she went and met and saw everybody. Sabbath, The Stones, Kiss. Like, we're talking 70s, mm. right? Like, she saw all of these people in a little club that couldn't fit more than, like, 400 people. It's like, and I just sit there and she tells me her stories and I'm just like, oh, man, like, that's the time. Like, what a time. You know, Bad Company and ZZ Top, Zeppelin, The Who. Just like, ah, oh, Jesus, you know? So I think she saw police as well. The only person she didn't see was Hendrix the last time I was talking to her. She never saw Hendrix. You know? Some people have just got a knack of seeing the right bands at the right time. And then they tell yeah. you about it and you're like, yeah. oh my goodness me. 
completely. Yeah, yeah. incredible. So the police take your super second slot. Fantastic act. I'm so glad you picked them. So they'll play for an hour. That's going to be a, a hit-packed hour for Steve oh, and yeah. Joe to play. That's going to be a phenomenal hour. Then we'll take our breaths again. That will take us up to our midway madness slot. So it'll be time for our third act at Trav Stop to hit the stage at five o'clock. So Travis, who's going to take your midway madness slot? Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> Another classic act. I'm so gutted. I never, an actor I never saw was Tom Petty. By the time I got uh, into Tom Petty, he'd done like two, he, he played the Royal Albert Hall, I think, one night, and then he played Hyde Park um, yeah. the summer after, and then obviously he passed away kind of unexpectedly. So I never had the chance to see Tom Petty, although yeah. he's never been picked for a fantasy festival, but he has been picked as part of the Travelling Wilburys before, but he's not been picked awesome. as a. That's a great choice because you're getting five for the price of one. That's a, that's a clever pick. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I thought about doing that too. I've got a little twist coming up soon. Oh, I like Okay. <laughs> Let's get them all in there, you know. So tell us about Tom Petty then. So why, why are Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers? Again, man, all about the songs, you know, and just what an incredible songwriter. And I, I was lucky enough to see them live before. And just, just everything's right, man. Everything's right about it. It's like music like that proves that you don't have to be this, you know, sort of master. I'm not saying they weren't masters at their instruments. They were. But you don't have to be this virtuoso alien freak mm. of a player to unite people. I mean, the guy was a very strummy kind of chord singer. You know, I know some guys who even compare him to Dylan as a singer. I think he's a different type of singer to Dylan in my personal opinion. But... Just the songs. You pick up any Tom Petty album and the songs are going to be incredible. It doesn't matter which record. It doesn't matter what era. It doesn't matter if it's a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers album or a Tom Petty album. They're all great. The guy could write a song like like, like it was just coming out of his paws. It seems that easy. Mm. You know, and it's like, I don't know, man. It's just when you spend years of your life gigging, sometimes... Again, just my my own personal thing. I try and give my ears a break after a gig, like when I'm driving home or I'm driving to wherever I've got to be. So I don't always listen to music after gigs. But if I've got a long drive and I want to listen to something, late at night listening to bands like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, it's just something super special about it, man. It's like, I suppose it would be the same with bands like the Eagles and stuff like that. It's almost like that music was... You can almost sense that it was written on the road. And these guys lived on the road, you know. So uh, just side note there, if you've never seen that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers documentary, mm. uh, I think it's called Running Down a Dream. You've got to watch that, man. Yeah, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, great yeah. story. I think that's, I'm pretty sure that's on Netflix and that's been on Netflix for a while. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah. You're right, yeah. Yeah, great watch. Yeah, so it's Tom... quite long. It's about three hours, you know. And again, we're living in a time where a lot of people won't sit down for three hours they don't have, seem to have, we don't have the same attention span mm. as we did 20, 30, 40 years ago, you know, but man, you could learn something from that guy just from watching that, that documentary, you know. Yeah. So. Great act. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers make their fantastical debut after 55 episodes. So well done, Travis, bringing what? them into the equation. So three acts down, two acts left. It's time for your pre-headline act. They're going to get a bit longer to play. They're going to get an hour and a half to play from half six to eight o'clock. So who's going to be your pre-headline act? The Who. Ah, uh, so The Who. The Who only make their second Fantastical appearance. What an act to have as your pre-headline act. So, Travis, why... I why... do want them with 
I do want them with Keith Moon, though. And Entwistle's got to be in there, too. It's got to be the original lineup. I think we can sort that. We'll sort that. Don't worry. Don't worry. That will happen. <laughs> that will happen. So why the who, then? Why the who? Why the who? Why in your pre-headline acts? Again, man, I think they... I think, you know, yes, the who are world famous and they renowned and they get respect and this and that, this and that. But when you think about, and again, this is just my opinion, so I hope I'm not rubbing anybody the wrong way, but when you think about the British invasion or that group of British invasion bands, I feel personally Zeppelin get all the respect in the world. Cream get all the respect in the world. Obviously the Beatles, the Beatles were originally on my list just so you know, but obviously I could only pick five. Um, they all get like such, you know, respect from everybody. And I feel like Pete Townsend is just a phenomenal songwriter. I feel like he he almost doesn't get looked at as a serious like guitarist kind of thing. And in my opinion, Pete is up there, man. You know, he, he uses suspended chords like like I didn't hear anybody else doing that at the time. You know, I mean, obviously I wasn't around at the time, but getting into that music years later and comparing Sabbath and The Who, Zeppelin, Cream, Jeff Beck, Genesis, all those kind of things. Genesis was much later, of course, but like getting into British rock bands is what I'm trying to say. It's like, I feel like Pete deserves more props. And Roger, I've, I've seen The Who plenty of times, you know, as the two of them, Pete and Roger, and even at Roger's age, that guy's voice is just top-notch. He never seems to struggle. He hits all those notes. He's got energy just pouring out of him. And again, Pete, I mean, sorry, Keith. Keith is one of my top three. So uh, Keith, man, what a drummer. He's like the only drummer that can't be emulated. And I, and, and I don't believe anybody can, you know? Yeah. Tough boots, tough boots to fill, Keith Moon. Yeah. And also, um, they would actually be the band that would play a full album. Um, for me, okay. I, I I think I would get them to play. I mean, they've got an hour and a half, so they could play the album and some of the other bands. But I think I'd get them to play Who's Next as a whole. You know, it, it was this is where it gets even tougher because I'm going to get to my headliner, and I was like, man, they could play this album or this album or this album. It's like <laughs> I don't know. It's like I I don't envy uh, festival organizers. I, I always used to think oh, it'd be so easy to put on a festival until this interview. <laughs> <laughs> So the Who make their second appearance. They take your pre-headline act slot. They'll play for an hour and a half. They're going to play their album, Who's Next, and many of their other hits. So four acts down, Travis. One act left to go. Lights are going down at half past eight. Your headliner is going to get two and a half hours to play. So, Travis, who is headlining Travis Stock? Well, I probably made this obvious during the course of the interview, <laughs> but Who Fighters, hands down. So Foo, Can't go wrong. Foo Fighters confirmed. Gators. Say what? Say Foo Fighters confirmed as your headliner. Yeah, yeah, just the greatest, man, you know. Uh, But I do have a twist. You know, Foo Fighters always seem to call little uh, special guests on stage. Yeah. So they're going to call a couple special guests on stage. And they've done this before, so technically it's not cheating. (laughs) If it happened, it's Uh, not cheating. During the Foo Fighters set, they will at some point call up Paul McCartney (laughs) <laughs> and they'll probably do like I don't know a version of Helter Skelter or something like that. Okay. And at and and at another point, I know that um, Dave Grohl is really big buddies with Paul Stanley. So I'm going to let him call up '70s version Paul Stanley, 
And they and 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 actually he's gonna call up um, Peter Chris, the original Kiss drummer, <laughs> and they're gonna do a version of Black Diamond by Kiss. So I'm kind of cheating, but I reckon if anyone's gonna call up guests, Foo's are gonna be the guys who do it. You know? That's amazing. I'm gonna twist for a second. You mentioned Black yeah. Diamond. Have you are you into the replacements? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously replacements, Black Diamond. Yeah. Yeah. I love Dude. the replacements. Yeah, this again. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There's so many good bands. Like, I mean, it's the the greatest thing about music, dude. Is like you and I, we've never met. This is the first time we've properly chatted. I mean, I know we've had a couple of texts yeah. back and forth, but like, isn't it so cool that you can like? I just think it's so cool, man. Like, music can connect people in a way that only music and food can. You see people connecting over food. Mm. Nothing else can do that, you know? I also think, like, you know, you always see these movies where like, people want time travel and this and that, this and that. Like, don't you reckon music is like, it's like magic, man. It's the only thing that, at least with me, it can transport me back to a time. I can picture what I was wearing. I know who I was hanging out with. I can be in that same room just by listening to a song. Now, I don't know if that still happens, you know, the, the the one negative thing with streaming is that, you know, I don't know if people necessarily take the time to get lost in songs like they used to. I hope they do. I'm sure some of them must. But like, man, like I get so lost going back to like my dad's stereo system. I just get so lost, dude. I mean, I got headphones right here. Like the moment we're done, I'm going to have that phone on. Okay. <laughs> Only because I can plug it in. And I'll I'll be listening to record after record after record because I've got a pretty easy day till a rehearsal later. So record day it is, man. You know, <laughs> it's just so great. Like you can you can be reminded of people and places that you maybe haven't connected with in years mm. just through song. Beautiful. Great stuff. Great stuff. So the foods <clears throat> make only their second fantastical appearance. Only the second time they've been selected for a fantasy festival. They get spoken about a lot on this podcast, but not not picked that often. So delighted to see the Food Fighters headline Traff Stock. So they'll play for two and a half hours. They get to bring out some special guests. I'd love to see them with Paul Stanley and uh, Pete Quick. That would be phenomenal when playing Black Diamond. I can imagine Dave Grohl yeah. singing that as well quite well. Yeah, so look at that. Actually. So they'll yeah. play to 11. Then at 11 o'clock, they welcome back on stage, brand new. They welcome back on stage the police. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and the Who all on stage together. That's a phenomenal lineup on the stage you've got all as one. They get to play one song, Travis. It can be any song by any act ever. That's a tough question. You've had a phenomenal lineup so far, and we're looking forward to seeing what your encore will be. What are you going to go with? Hotel California by the Eagles. <laughs> what a track. Yeah, I think that, you know, singing drummer on the original recording. Phenomenal drummers on the lineup. They could all play that drum part in unison. I'm not a big fan of unison drum parts, you know, but visually it looks cool. You know, I, I just, I can't really see what everybody's going to do on stage. I reckon there's going to be a lot of tambourine playing. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, if there was one song, and, and, and I know I'm repeating myself over and over here, but, like, for me it's about the song. I, I'm massive into songwriting. I've got, I've got like, it's, it's all about the song, man. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm the multi-instrumentalist and I get, I'm lucky enough to be able to do different instruments with different projects and play different things for different people. And it's probably the reason I've been able to make a living at this because, you know, 
maybe if I only played one instrument or only did one thing, I wouldn't be able to make a living. I don't know. But I just think if there was one song in the world that I could have written, it'd be Hotel California. Amazing. I've listened to that song. I've got multiple copies of the vinyl, which is so unnecessary. I don't know why you need more than one copy of an yeah. album, but I, for that record, con conned me and, and I, I bought multiple copies of it. And I just, I listened to that song on repeat, like constantly. There's only been one other song I've ever done that with. And that was Black Hole Sun. I remember when I discovered Black Hole Sun, I was in high school, you know, and there was this guy, Warren Neal. I'll never forget him. <laughs> he had Soundgarden, Black Hole Sun, whatever album that was on, I think Super Unknown. And I come to school one day and I was like, man, has anyone got like Soundgarden? You know, this is like when you'd still like tape uh, the song on a cassette for somebody. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I've got it. And he's like, I was like, dude, could you, could you tape that um, Black Hole Sun song for me? I thought he would do it once. He's like, yeah, bring me a cassette. I brought him a 90 minute cassette and he bloody recorded <laughs> or taped Black Hole Sun, the whole side A and B on cassette. So I guess... I guess maybe uh, through my listening psychoness <laughs> or psychotics, I just listen to that song on repeat. But man, Hotel California is is what I would do. Like I wish I wrote that damn song. Great track. Great track. I love the Eagles. I got to see Don Felder, who wrote the music um, yep. for it in Bush Hall. It's like a tiny gig. Really? And I went, thinking, he had a new album out, I was thinking, oh, I'll see him, because he'll play like two or three Eagles tracks. Whole show was Eagles. He literally played like two tracks of his new album, and it was all like, already, yeah. like literally played like the best of the Eagles. It was amazing. In, in Bush Hall was tiny, cool. so really cool. So Hotel California is your encore. So before we lock your Fantastical in, I actually forgot to mention before um, we started going through your acts that I spoke to our mutual friend Derek Walklate, who was our guest on episode 49. Yeah, and yeah. when we have mutual friends, I like to get predictions from people to go, right, who okay. will X put on their fantasy festival? Oh, awesome. So Derek gave me four names uh, for you. He gave me Pyramid Tongue, who we've spoken okay. about. You referenced Pyramid Tongue, so close yeah, yeah. there. He said Billy Talent, who you've mentioned, yeah. who didn't make it. So I almost put them on the list. It was so tough, man. So tough. I love that band. I mean, I'm obsessed with that band. And I was lucky enough to write a song that they ended up recording and um, playing on and everything. It's like, but I just, I only had five bands, man. And I, I, if there were six, <laughs> they were on the list. I actually, I've got, a, I've got, I've got a bunch on my, on my phone. I, that's why I kept looking at my phone when you were talking to me. I, was, I got a list, man. And I was like, oh, they could be on that. And the, uh, the list just kept changing. Oh, give me your list you know? then. Because you, you kind of mentioned it. Mm -hmm. Is there, any, is there any else, anyone else on your list who you'd want to mention? Yeah, yeah. So so originally, Buffy were on the, we're going to be, Kiss were going to be on it. I had put Buffy on it. Smashing Pumpkins were on it. The Beatles. I'm obsessed with the Beatles. And Nirvana were on it too. Um, and then from a pop or poppier point of view, originally Michael Jackson was going to be on it. Originally, Prince was going to be on it. I love Eminem. Eminem oh, was going to be on shout. it too. Yeah. And 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 I was going to put Bob Marley on it. I'm I'm obsessed with old Bob Marley. You know. Um, I actually managed to go uh, tour his house as well when I, I was touring in Jamaica, and we had a day off, and they've turned his house into a bit of a museum. And I was like, dudes, we're going to go check out Bob Marley's house. Ironically, the dudes I was playing with, they were like, oh. I was like, you, you, when are you going to be back here? I'm like, come on. So we all went, and I think they all enjoyed it. The bullet holes of when they try to assassinate Bob 
are still in the wall and everything. It's pretty crazy. But yeah, so Bob Marley was on there, man. And I was talking to my wife every day. She probably thinks I'm nuts because it's like, you know, I'm making up a festival. And every day I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to put so-and-so on the festival. Oh, you know who else I had was um, Third Eye Blind. Oh, okay. Third Eye Blind were, were originally going to open my festival. And I'm about to launch a project called Hyena Black. It's going to come out sort of September, October. And originally I put us open in the festival. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, like, uh, I think maybe maybe uh, I'll hang backstage and just hand everybody a demo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can oh, be that guy backstage who's oh, trying to get everyone and, to listen and, to his band. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, Butch Walker. Originally Take I had Butch shout. Walker on, on, my, on my list as well. But there's just too many, man. Too many great bands, too many great musicians. I mean, you mentioned um, Jeff Buckley. I thought about Jeff Buckley as well. But, you know, Flicker Stick were originally going to open. It wasn't the headliner I had a problem with. I knew that the Who, I knew the Police, and I knew the Foo Fighters were all going to be on there. It was the opening act, really. Mm. And then kind of the middle card that I was like, hmm, what do I do? What do I do? You know? Because, like, you know what, I mean, you, you obviously have gone to enough festivals of your own, hence the podcast. And sometimes just putting that one weird band in the middle can change the whole vibe of the mm. festival. And like, you know, while that's cool to do for diversity reasons, and, and I do think it's important to have diversity at these festivals, sometimes sometimes for selfish reasons, it can ruin your experience then. You go, I don't want to see these guys open for those guys. <laughs> I'm going to go look for, for, for a tent. And ironically, just just on the side note, and I'm, I know I'm blabbering like no one's business now, but once you get me started, I don't stop, man. But <laughs> but um, I'm like a Pringle can. The the tents at Reading, you know, like where they put the kind of the smaller yeah. bands. I think that'd be a beautiful thing as well. I, I'm always a, a fan of the slightly more intimate thing. You know, having played some bigger stages in my time as well, it's like they great, but like there's a connection that's just a little lost for me. Whereas like you see someone in an intimate in, intimate venue, like, uh, what's that venue in Camden? Coco? Coco, yeah. Was it Coco? Yeah, it's not there anymore, like, Coco. You, man? you know, like, yeah. like those kinds of venues, they just like, you feel so like, if you're willing to get there a little early, you can, you can stand close enough that you can almost reach the bloody people. It's like, that's so cool. You know, hang out back, hang out like late after the concert's finished, you'll meet those guys. You know, yeah. you know, and, and you know, uh, last person I've got to give, or last act I've got to give a special mention to, just because I did see them at Sonosphere Festival, and I, I was blown away. And I know that people kind of laugh because everyone only sort of knew them for one hit, but they've gotten so good as a band. Is Papa Roach? Like, man, that guy Jacoby Shaddix, I'd put him down as probably the greatest rock singer in the world right now. And I'm not talking traditional like classic rock. I'm talking just like fronting a rock band and getting you wanting to, he, he, it's almost like he shoots energy into you it's crazy how he does it i don't know if i ever meet him i'll ask but <laughs> it's crazy man you know so i wanted to put them on as well and i was like man i just i just can't do it man difficult you know? very difficult to get to the five derek did say kiss who you've talked kiss, about yeah. so we kind of got kiss on the bill he did say foo fighters though so well done, yeah. Derek. So we got one out of four. So that isn't yeah, bad. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad with so much choice. So let's lock in Traff Stocked in. So you can still change your mind up until the point that we lock it in. So this is the all important part of locking your fantasy festival in. So we've got Traff Stock. It's taking place at the Roundhouse. Brand new opening. 
the police are playing in your super second slot. And your midway madness slot, we've got Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Your pre-headline act of The Who, they're going to play their album, Who's Next? And in your headline slot, you're going to have the Foo Fighters. Paul McCartney's going to come out and play with them, as well as Paul Stanley and Peter Chris. And for your encore, all of your acts are coming back out onto the Camden Roundhouse stage, and they're going to play Hotel California by the Eagles. Yeah. Travis Mark, are we locking that fantasy festival in? Do it, man. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. What a fantasy festival. So before we finish up, what, what does the next couple of months look like for you? You've mentioned Hyena Black. Um, yeah, I as, as, so so what's yeah so what's what's going on? Tell us about your future. Well, so you know, I uh, before I left England, I was in this band called Dead Days. Derek actually was managing us, and we started recording an album. It would have been our technically our third album. We released a full length album, an EP, which some people consider an album, but it's really an EP. And we released a live album, a little uh, unplugged live album, and we started working on a new album. So it would be the the official second full-length album. But if you want to just look at it in, in uh, sort of points of work, I suppose you could call it a third. But so that that we're hoping to finish at some point. Ironically, we started recording it before I left England. Um, so the drums are done. A lot of the guitars are done. We need to get the bass done, uh, finish off the guitars, and then I'll finish the vocals on this side. So we're going to put that out just as like a final hoo-ha. Uh, even though myself and James, the guitarist, we've decided we're going to keep writing back and forth, which is great because, you know, sometimes you, you meet musicians and you just, you get each other, yeah. you know, and James and I, we, we definitely get each other. Um, as do Ian and Daryl, the other guys who've been involved with that band as well. But yeah, so, so that's happening. And then I've started this project called Hyena Black. I haven't actually started it. Long story short, I got a bit of a deal for it before I left England. Signed uh, a management deal with quite a big company. And um, the guy sort of wanted me to put a band together. And I wasn't so sure. I was going to come over here and build a studio. That was my plan. Um, build a studio, be a songwriter. You know, I know I'm good at that. So <laughs> that was going to be my plan. And he was like, well, you know, you can do that at any point. Like, you still got a few years to be a, like a proper artist. Why don't you do it? And I went back and forth about the whole thing a few times. And eventually, after talking to my parents, again, they're quite supportive. Mm. They were like, well, why not, you know? So for the last year and a half almost, almost, probably closer to about 15 months, 16 months, so not quite a year and a half, I've been working on this album. And uh, it's it, originally I demoed like, I want to say maybe about 32, 34 tracks and then I brought that down to about 17 tracks and I kept sending them back and forth between me and the guy who I've got to deal with. And we narrowed it down to about 12 tracks and I recorded the 12 and since recording the 12, I've narrowed it down to 10. I played everything on the, the album except for um, one guitar solo, which um, a friend of mine, Zach, who plays for that band, Love, he's done. And uh, ironically, there's a saxophone solo on one of the songs, which um, another friend of mine, Dave, uh, who's based here in Louisiana, did. And um, so the album's finished. Um, it's busy getting mixed at the moment by a guy named Taylor Tatch, who mixed um, the Jets and the Ghost Tree album. Oh. He actually produced the Jets and the Ghost Tree album. And he also um, produced and mixed some of the early Marin Morris stuff. And I love the sound of his records. So I contacted him and he's mixing my record. And uh, we've done about half the record now. The rest of it will be finished over the 
course of the next sort of month or two. Um, I started putting the band together about a month ago. Um, so I've got a set drummer in place. I'm playing guitar and singing in it. And um, I've auditioned a couple of bass players. I'm finding it really hard to pick one. Everyone's been really good. And for most of my life, my brother's been the bassist in my bands. So, so this has been quite difficult because Ian, the guy who replaced my brother in Dead Days, is a phenomenal bassist. And I would love him in the band. But obviously, you know, we're in different countries. So, so I can't go with people I know. I've got to go with people I've befriended or, or found here. And everyone here is so bloody good that I've auditioned that I haven't been able to pick someone yet. And I've got such a good relationship with the drummer that finding this outside person now is feeling quite difficult. But long story short, albums should hit the road or hit the, hit the markets or whatever in sort of September, October, November, I'm guessing, around there. And we're going to hit the road provided things open by that same sort of time. And from what we've discussed, it looks like we're going like, to really hit the road. You know, like we're not going to be sitting around twiddling our fingers and hoping for a gig. We, we've got a plan and we've got some good people behind us. So that's the plan, man. Hyena Black. I can't actually wait. I think they're the greatest songs I've ever written. And I know everybody always says that every time they bring out an album. <laughs> but, but like, you know, it's quite funny. You know how you see people do those, um, my 10 most listened to albums on Facebook and stuff like that? That first Dead Days album comes up on so many people's um, top 10. It's really quite humbling because, like, mm. I think we did a great job on that album. So the fact that, like, Strangers put it up as their, one of their top 10, it's always quite surprising to me. And I, I sometimes listen to it, not very often. I mean, I listen to it maybe once a year kind of thing because you don't typically listen mm. to your own music. By the time that stuff comes out, you've listened yeah. to it yeah. so, so much you hate those songs. But, you know, this Hyena Black stuff not to discredit the Dead Days stuff because it's a different beast completely. But I've not heard anything like it, man. Um, it's either going to be a very, oh, my God, I love this, or a what is this, I hate it kind of scenario. <laughs> and I hope it's more I love this thing. But if people don't dig it, they don't dig it. You know, I think we're onto something here. I look forward to listening to it. If anyone's listening to this and wants to keep in contact with you via social media, how does somebody find Travis Mark? Uh, you know, I, I am on all the social media sort of platforms. I've got to be honest, I don't pay a lot of attention to them. Uh, not because of any reason, but I kind of, uh, I just, you know, my life's my life and I'm trying to live my life. And I, when I've got interesting enough stuff to actually put up, I'll put it up. But for now, all, everything's being held back. So I'll be shutting down my personal Instagram at some point because I'm, I don't care if people know what I ate anymore <laughs> or anything like that the hyena black one is ready i'll i'll obviously have that but i mean i'm on facebook so if you really want to connect with me just find me on facebook i don't really use any of the pages and stuff on there anymore but i have a personal account you'll find me and uh i'm happy to talk to anybody man i love talking about music great stuff you sure do thank you so much for joining me that is the 55th episode of the fantastical podcast done and dusted if you're listening for the first time and listening on itunes you can subscribe you can give the podcast a review that'd be most grateful if you're listening on spotify or anchor you can give us a follow and recommend this podcast to all of your families and friends we are on social media this podcast is on twitter so make sure to give us a follow at fantastical p and if you're not on twitter and want to get in contact with me at the podcast you can give me an email at fantastical podcast at outlook 
com. Unfortunately, can't play music on podcast, but I'll get some tracks from Travis. We'll make a nice Spotify playlist. We'll put those into the episode description. So have a look in the episode description. We'll put up an awesome, awesome playlist for everyone to enjoy. So the only thing left to say is, Travis, a massive thank you. We are on different different continents, different time zones. So it's almost 8pm where I am. It's almost 2pm where you are. So thank you for giving up some of your lunchtime afternoon. It's been an absolute you. pleasure thank- to speak to you, man. Thank you. And thanks. I, I had I had fun. It was really great. So thanks for having me. And I hope I didn't blabber on too much. I know I tend to do that, but <laughs> I just, I love this stuff, man. And it's like, I just, I could talk about it with passionate people all day. You know, you, you obviously have a passion for music. I appreciate that. And thank you for letting me be passionate about mine. You know, Been a pleasure. Been an absolute pleasure. So I'll be back soon with episode number 56. So please make sure to join me. But until then, stay safe, my fantastical friends. Please continue to spread the word. And that word is fantastical. Thanks for listening.